Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Metal Hammer podcast. It is episode 149. We're nearly at episode 150. What an excellent milestone that will be. Uh, hope you're all doing all right out there in what has been a very heavy week here for the metal industry, no doubt about it. And we will be getting into that in a moment. Uh, I am Mel from Metal Hammer. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm joined today by Metal Hammer Deputy Editor Eleanor Goodman. Hello, Al. Hello, Mel. Hello, Jonathan. Hello. And hello, hello, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> who is who is the uh, uh, the reviews editor of Metal Hammer? So we can we can introduce this any way we want. It's fine. Uh, there is a brand new issue of Metal Hammer out right now. We are this podcast is coming out to you a little bit later than usual because um, we obviously had a lot to talk about and it's been a very busy week at Metal Hammer Towers this week. So there is a new issue of Metal Hammer out right now. It is our huge and very emotional tribute to the one and only Alexi Leho the icon of children of bottom fame who passed away very suddenly uh, at the age of just 41 years old at the end of last year. So we gathered a ton of amazing names, some of Alexi's closest friends, his loved ones, his former bandmates, his colleagues, his peers, um, some amazing names from around the industry to pay tribute to Alexi, to his life and his career and give us some insight into the person he was. Uh, it's a really great list of names here. Um, we've got the likes of Kerry King from Slayer. We've got members of Mastodon, Nightwish, Gimu, Dimu Borgir, Gua. Uh, we've got Zach Wilde in here. Uh, it's, a, it's a really uh, heartfelt and earnest tribute. And uh, we hope that we've been able to do Alexi justice. You can pick this up in copy in copies in shops around the UK right now, or you can get it delivered straight to your door from tinyurl.com slash gethammer. Uh, that's tinyurl.com slash gethammer. I should add, there's loads of other great features in there as well. We've got a big feature on 1986 and the year that Thrash smashed the world. Uh, we've got a great new interview with the likes of Architects, Wardruna. Great new feature with Epica. We've got a great interview with Divide and Dissolve, who are the uh, drone duo fighting white supremacy that we talked about on the podcast a couple of weeks back. We've got a big piece on Tribulation. There's stuff with Alice Cooper in here. Creator, A.A. Williams, Perturbator. It is absolutely stacked and it's out right now. Uh, and as I say, it's all dedicated to the one and only Alexi Leho. Uh, tinyurl.com slash gethammer is the place to uh, to go if you want it delivered. Um, obviously, we're going to cover the big breaking news this week. You can't really move for it. And uh, it's been uh, I know, a very difficult situation for everybody involved in metal to, to see this all roll out. Um, and if you're not, if for some reason you've completely missed what's been going on with Marilyn Manson and Evan Rachel Woods, uh, I'm going to run all through it now just to kind of bring us up to date on where we are. Uh, so earlier this week, actress Evan Rachel Woods publicly accused Marilyn Manson of abusing her during their relationship in the late 2000s. Uh, it's been known for some time that Evan Rachel Wood had previously stated that she was abused by a partner during a relationship that began when she was 18. And on Monday, she named Manson as that person. Uh, I'm actually going to read her statement here in full in case anyone hasn't heard it, but I should probably flag that um, flag a trigger warning here because it is talking about abuse and some quite difficult things. Um, so Evan Rachel would put this statement out on Monday and it ran as follows. Uh, the name of my abuser is Brian Warner, also known to the world as Marilyn Manson. He started grooming me when I was a teenager and horrifically abused me for years. I was brainwashed and manipulated into submission. I am done living in fear of retaliation, slander or blackmail. I'm here to expose this dangerous man and call out the many industries that have enabled him before he ruins any more lives. 
I stand with the many victims who will no longer be silent. So that statement came out on Monday. And then soon after that, several other women have also shared similar allegations against Manson. Uh, you can find all those online as well, although I would warn you again that they do contain quite distressing and disturbing accounts of abuse. Um, and since this has all happened, Manson has now been dropped by his US label Loma Vista. Uh, US Senator Susan Rubio has even called for a full FBI investigation into Manson. Uh, and we've also seen statements from people that have worked with him. We've seen Wes Borland from Limp Biscuit putting out a statement uh, that supported Rachel Wood's accusations as well. Wes Borland was, of course, uh, in Manson's band for a brief time. Uh, Marilyn Manson has put out a statement uh, denying all allegations. Uh, so this is all very overwhelming stuff. I uh, appreciate this is not easy reading or an easy thing for everyone to digest. Um, I know that everyone that listens to this podcast and reads the magazine will know that we did actually attempt to engage with Manson uh, over the subject of his relationship with Evan Rachel Woods in our issue that was on sale in November. Um, this whole kind of thing goes back to April 2019 when Evan Rachel Woods appeared in front of the California Senate uh, Public Safety Committee in support of the Phoenix Act, which is a proposed law that called for an extension of the statute of limitations on domestic violence crimes from three to ten years. Uh, in her appearance there, she gave detailed accounts of abuse she had suffered at the hands of an unnamed partner she met when she was 18 years old. Uh, and last year, some online outlets had linked that timeline to her relationship with Manson. So when we had our interview with Manson last year, we tried to engage him on this topic uh, and he hung up the phone on us. Uh, you can still read Dave Early's resulting piece over on the Mount Hummel website now. Um, but uh, thanks to Evan Rachel Wood's statement this week, this situation is all now fully out there and in the open. Uh, and as I said, I appreciate it. it's very difficult reading for everyone. It's horrifying stuff, uh, some of the stuff we're reading about right now. Um, and we're going to keep following this story on Metal Hammer and Louder. And uh, our teams are working on a number of things right now to try and cover this, but also to try and digest and engage in the wider implications of everything that's been revealed this week. Because this whole thing isn't just about Manson. It's not just about the, uh, the actual accounts that we're reading. Uh, it's also about some of the reactions we've seen to it from um, members of the online uh, metal community some quite uh disappointing and at times alarming responses from people and we're going to be running a little something that's going to be delving into that and kind of uh, dissecting that whole issue as well so um not an easy thing for everyone to be having to deal with this week we appreciate that and um as i say we'll be doing a lot more on this as the story kind of rolls out in the weeks and months ahead it's really difficult to kind of read and see that stuff that's all online and I think if you are finding it overwhelming or triggering in any way, then remember to speak out and tell somebody and seek help. That's a really, really good point as well. Um, so, yeah, we're going to move on from this for now. But as I say, there will be a lot more to be said on this whole situation when all is said and done. I'm certain about that. Um, System of a Down, Serge Tankian has released some song ideas from the band's cancelled records on a new EP titled Elasticity. Uh, Serge actually released a title track of that record's uh, upcoming record this week. Uh, he told Spin, originally I had these songs in mind for a system record. If we were to end up doing a system record, obviously we know that never happened now. Um, but he added, as we cannot really see eye to eye on how to go forward that, with that, I decided to finish them off myself and release them as an EP. So we've got kind of almost like system demo tracks being polished up and turned into a Serge Tankian EP here. Um, do we listen? Do we listen to the uh, Elasticity title track? What do you reckon of it? 
It did. I really enjoyed it. It's got that like irreverence and it does sound elastic. It kind of bounces around and it's cool. But I think it's like um, with the other two tracks that released, um, what were they called? Protect the Land and remember the other one? Uh, uh, Genocidal Humanoids. Yeah. I liked both those songs, but I know the reaction was very mixed. I think there's, there is something for me slightly missing from this song and it's the sort of Darren Malakian influence and the kind of metal crunchy bit of it. And I just kind of feel like Serge does really cool songs and has loads of wild ideas. And Darren, obviously, um, those songs were written for his band and they have that kind of the metal side of things. And I just really want them to put them together. And I like this track and I like the other two tracks, but I just feel like their the sum of their parts is more fun and interesting and metal and cool so i'm happy to have you know three tracks that i didn't know i'd have six months ago or something by people from system of a down um but yeah i just wish they could patch up the differences at the end of the day do it together yeah i hard agree i think that uh if there's one thing that serge's solo stuff in scars on broadway has shown me is that they're both fantastic artists but um you just can't be system of a down and i really did like those two songs that um that Me got too. released last year i thought they were great I, I actually protect the land still still comes on my spotify shuffle quite a lot and now it's actually got it it feels like a classic song to me like when it comes on in that first riff that -na 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 -na, i'm instantly like oh exactly. yeah and it's really um, easy to sing as well those vocal harmonies in the chorus it it feels totally systemy but um yeah, yeah. that main that main vocal melody like that comes in sort of halfway through it really reminds me it's something really reminiscent like david bowie or something but i can't put my finger on what it really sounds like but um yeah but the opening vocals they're kind of a bit weird i know it's kind of it's what um system for down do but it sounds like a bit like that old 50 song like what's the word mixed in with um vic reeves doing the doing big night out just those, <laughs> those that's the first thing I thought of when I heard that there's some elasticity. It was just like it sounds a bit like Vic Reeves, you know, when he's introducing when he's when he's trying to do a cover song or something with um Bob Morton. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly I what you mean. Show. I don't remember the big night out. I think I was too young for that. Not the fast yeah. show, the other one. Shooting stars. Shooting stars was amazing. Yeah, I, I, I like I know what you mean. It's kind of like that. System have always had that kind of for want of a better term wacky aside i don't know if system would be happy to be called wacky but like that's how a lot of their shtick comes across sometimes and yeah that kind of like -da 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 -da, like that kind mm -hmm. of high yappy kind of thing he's doing is uh it's a bit odd um, yeah definitely a bigger fan of surge when he's doing his deeper vocals because that's normally when you get darren's higher pitched ones coming in and they make those amazing harmonies together yeah I do like though on the arm in the video there's a woman who's got a tattoo and then serge's face appears in it that's wacky yeah i mean a lot of those vocals they they're basically they come from frank zappa you can tell like he's a huge frank zappa fan that's kind of off key um slightly i don't know if they're comedic but they they're just trying to sort of always feel like they're trying to point out an irony of something mm. yeah it's it's an odd one and yeah it's like definitely a lot of zapper in that um so yeah it'll be interesting to see or hear what this ep will sound like um you know it's just so frustrating that there's all this kind of stuff oh we can do a new system record but we could do these two songs which are actually really good but we can't quite do this and can't quite do that like it's like i feel like it's so nearly there sometimes and then other times you just think no it's never gonna happen so 
I guess we will wait and see. System Watch continues. Uh, in pretty impressive news this week, Bring Me the Horizon have landed a second UK number one album with post-human survival horror. Now, this is quite impressive to me for a lot of reasons. Firstly, because I kind of thought it counted as an EP. Um, so the fact it's on top of the album's charts is pretty good. Uh, and secondly, the the original album was released on streaming uh, last year. And um, it's only been released uh, as something you can kind of buy digitally or physically um, in the last couple of weeks. And it's gone to number one. It beat out uh, the um, the new album from Bicep, who are a really good uh, electronic duo, but who are also like a massive, massive, you know, mainstream uh, artist. Um, and the numbers around this are fascinating. Uh, when the, uh, the, the EP was originally released digitally, in October, it, still, it debuted at number five, so it still had a really solid debut there. Um, but now having been released on CD, vinyl and cassette, uh, it's outsold everything else in the charts this week. And in fact, 92% of Bring Me The Horizon's EP sales this week were all physical purchases. So this is an amazing indication of where current mainstream alternative artists are still able to make a significant impact through physical. I mean, I've just, and not just that, but of an album that's already been out for months. It's just really impressive. Such a good EP, though. Such a good EP. And, yeah, it just shows people's appetite to have something physical. Like, for ages, I just didn't have a record player because I was like, I don't want to have to collect something else. It takes up space in my house because my house is tiny and I rent and then I'll have to move and I'll have to move the records. And then I just gave in and got one and now I really like it <laughs> and now I want to buy everything and it's really nice like it is nice just to sit down with the record and open it and touch it and look at it and be like oh this is my record and play it it's more like you know what it used to be like and obviously I love streaming and mostly listen to music through that but it makes it feel like an event or an occasion and yeah what an EP such a great EP I've honestly had days where I've just looped that over and over no, it's not to everybody's tastes, but it totally just hits my sweet spot. Yeah, I've got to say, actually, when we first reviewed it, I remember thinking, yeah, this is really, really good. And I just never listened to it again. Um, and I've had it on a few times since, like it's come on shuffles and things like that. And there's a there's a good few tracks on there that feel like real big, like kind of like what I was saying about those system songs. Like when they come on that, they really grab you and they feel like Hallmark, Bring Me The Horizon songs already. Um, and uh yeah, it's it's also in collaborations as well. I know we talked about this, but I just love the record. Having Kingslayer with Baby Metal and Nova Twins on there and everyone else who was on there. It's just cool. It's like more of that, please. Yeah, it's 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 good and it's it's exciting to see an alternative band still making um an impact like that. I do I re I kind of my brain kind of malfunctioned a bit when I first saw the headline saying they got a number one because I was like, did I just make up listening to this album months ago? Like, is this a surprise? One? What's going on? I don't understand. I know time is meaningless, but uh, yeah, fair fucks to bring the horizon. Well done. Those lads uh, in probably uh, unfortunate, but inevitable news. Nightwish have postponed their planned European tour again um new dates are now over at melthammer.com if you want to check those out i'm sure we'll get to them eventually just hang tight and these tours will happen it's just going to take a while longer but um we're getting a lot of good news about vaccines and such like at the moment aren't we so uh i'm starting to feel pma about the future when it comes to this kind of thing but uh yeah if you've got tickets for that you might want to check over on melthammer.com for all the new list of night switch uh, dates 
Um, right, it's a big week for metal I again. Something else. I'm going to talk over the top of you. Sorry, Merlin. Oh, just sorry, were you waving at me? I was waving at you. Oh, you were Did you waving. Did you a stretch? No, you were behind the. Uh, you were behind the. We, I've got my plan up in front of me, and Earl was behind it, waving away, and I didn't see you. I'm so sorry. Go on. I Go thought on. maybe you were having a stretch. Very, very quickly, it is Tinnitus Week this week, which is the annual awareness week to raise awareness for tinnitus. Um, so obviously, probably no, but tinnitus is when you have continuous sounds in your ears. It might be a ringing or a whooshing, and it can commonly be caused by noise damage. So obviously lots of us going to gigs have had run-ins with tinnitus. Um, I've had it since I was 16 um, and had it a little bit in the beginning and then it got a bit worse over time. Um, but thankfully I'm able to manage it okay. And I've written a little bit about that over on metalhammer.com and loudersound.com. So go and check that out. And people are also telling their own stories of tinnitus online this week for tinnitus week. Um, just look for the hashtag Tinnitus Week and the hashtag This Is My Silence. And obviously, feel free to go on and share over there as well. I think it's one of those things that can be quite scary. And knowing there's lots of people, one in eight people, in fact, that have tinnitus, um, at least can help you feel a little bit less alone. So tinnitus sucks, but there are ways to cope with it. Um, yeah, go check it out. Yeah, well, uh, one in eight people. I think it's three in three people on this podcast, isn't it? It's got tinnitus. Three and three, 100% of uh, people. I've had it on and off. I had it uh, once for three weeks really badly um, after a bear moth show in Oslo. But I also had the flu. And it's, it's still one of the loudest gigs I've ever seen. And I felt like um, my my ears were ringing really loudly. And I felt like I was underwater for three weeks. And I wasn't sure if it was going to disappear. Um, I think it might have been more of an infection than actual tinnitus. But... Um, and then I've had I had I've had it on and off, but then it goes. I had it um, from one gig where they blew out the front of house speakers, so it was this really treble sound, um, and um, I could feel it like traveling all the way down my neck, and mm. I, I had to leave after two songs because it was it was physically painful. Um, story is so distressing, so distressing. But I would always say you can leave if you're in a situation where you're just like freaked the fuck out. You can just leave. Yeah, but, but but here's the thing as well, is that um, even if you think you might be generally immune to, to it, sometimes it's just a certain frequency will hit you and um, it can cause damage. And I actually thought I had it permanently after that, but it seems to have gone and occasionally it comes back for brief periods. But um, yeah, if if like you, like if something, for me, it's like if, if something's really trebly, um, that can that can really trigger it or cause it. Yeah, it's 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 uh, something that thankfully has been thought about a lot more. I mean, we did a, a quite a live thing on the podcast about it a couple of years back. Um, but yeah, I've got it as well, and it fucking sucks. But as Al said, if you do have it or you're starting to experiencing it for the first time, can suck. But um, if you don't happen to have it, protect your ears when gigs start again, because trust me, you don't want it. <laughs> Just get earplugs, get earplugs. And even sometimes people say they're expensive. You can get them fairly cheaply. And if you get custom ones, you're looking at between sort of 100 and 150 pounds and i always think like i would just throw all of my money if there was a cure like i would just say take all my money and cure me so paying 100 to 150 quid straight up to get custom ones is well worth it yeah hard agree look after your ears friends um and uh when you listen to these next albums we're about to start talking about do them at a slightly lower volume than you may have planned <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> literally about to launch into now crack these albums loud um no we got uh we got some really great albums for albums of the week this week it is a packed release schedule in the world of metal uh and i think we should start with this band that jonathan first put on our radar i think maybe like last year you were first talking about this band jonathan every so often a band comes along um where jonathan will turn around and kind of say this is going to be the band in the underground that everyone's talking this year and he's pretty much got 100 records on this shit so far so we're backing it we're going to talk about the new album from the ruins of beveras it's called the thule grimoires yeah, please explain um, what that means uh, uh well you know you know, you know what a grimoire is it's a it's yeah. a kind of, it's a kind of a book um i'm sure like the thought is is like it's an occult term i'm sure it was kind of used by um by people like the golden dawn um you know alistair crowley's old sect from the like uh early 20th century um I don't really know the ins and outs of their occult beliefs, but you can tell that they're really potent and profound. Um, Cause this is, I mean, cause you know, this is a band that's actually been going since 2003. Um, and, you know, I've been covering them in reviews and lives for, you know, pretty much all the time I've been since at Hammer. And they're one of the most revered bands in the underground, they're, they're, they're a German band and although they've been kind of tied into the whole occult underground scene they're not one of the bands that um that you know call their gigs rituals or have shrines on stage or burn incense or anything like that there's something quite blue collar about them but uh it's the it's the uh, the front man is called alex von alexander von Mallenwald and um it's his it's his baby and if you see them live they have this intensity that you really can't fake it really brings something other into in into the into the open um and but it's a kind of it's kind of muscular in the same way that mcguire is like if you see mcguire live as well they have this presence that they bring forward on stage even behind the masks that um other bands just don't have it's just something they've got and then they you know and it comes through you know belief intensity uh and yeah and this band has it so at the same time they're quite progressive in a in a way as well i mean they start off in a very kind of death metally vein but the albums have got more and more expansive as time goes on and 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 so the latest one um uh, the Thor Grimoires, like its predecessor, um, Exuvia, it's not super heavy in the way that expects a death metal or black metal band to be. It's it's just got atmosphere. Um, you can really sense it's exploring something with every fibre of its being, and um, and yeah, it's just it's just a, so even though they're not typically heavy uh anymore even though like the last couple of songs they've got that old kind of death black vibe to it but it's still kind of almost at a leisurely pace um it's so engulfing and it's so immersive and and you can tell so much that this man that this man has like a, such a vast vision that he's um exploring and there's and there's also you know i love bands like them where and you get this in bands like watain and akok as well where there's a sense of almost humility 
to it to a higher force and that gives it much more expansive dynamics and um yeah this is quite a long album as well it's um i think it's over an hour long so it really gives you time to really just lose yourself in the world that it creates and yeah and you know every un underground fan i know even though they're not heavy anymore in the quite the same way they love them just as much because they understand that sort of purity of intent and that will take you wherever it needs to go yeah it's funny because you kind of saying about how they're not like quite as heavy as they used to be because i guess to the average listener this will still be a uh a pretty damn heavy record um but yeah I, th I thought this album was really interesting i thought uh you know there's a, there's a lot about kind of like driving blackened um imperious vibe on there that you see quite a lot of in the scene now but there's loads of little interesting little meanders and sidesteps um even the first track uh the way it kind of sweeps into this kind of like mellow almost like mellow doom kind of thing is really uh enticing and i love the song uh Mammothpolis, Mammothpolis. I love that song. I thought you might, and also it's, it's it's very hard to say. It feels like it should roll off the tongue, but it just doesn't. Mammothpolis, like there's no good way to say it. But um, it's kind of got this like almost like alt grungy industrial vibe under it. This kind of got it's got a bit of a '90s feel to it, which I just wasn't expecting at all. But it really works, and um, yeah, it's just it's so much stuff going on, but it all feels part of a larger vision of which I am yet to fully comprehend, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's very luminous. Like, it always, you know, there, there's, there's some bands I really love that do this, that they, it feels like you're kind of, you're shining a light and you're seeing details in this kind of dark world and it's bringing them out. And you can see this light reflected on some pillow that's got some strange carving on it. And so it has this really kind of like baleful atmosphere where it's just like you, you're, you're shining a torch and illuminating certain parts of the world. You can't really see the edges of but you know it's there. Like a big gothic anglerfish. Yes, exactly. They're the fish that have the lights hanging off the top of their heads, but they look really kind of like old and dark and they live in the deep of the ocean. Yeah, imagine this anglerfish is like, um, just swam into some ancient Cthulhu-esque subterranean realm and it's, uh, and it's swimming around in there and it's going, what the fuck is this? Just I've like, never... Oh, what am I talking about? No, it's, no it's, it's going, <laughs> this is my god. And um, I, 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 am, I love this God, and I'm just illuminating all these little ancient, timeless aspects of this. <laughs> <laughs> I've never in my life heard such a seamless segue from L talk to Jonathan talk. <laughs> it went from fish to Cthulhu to just nebulous demigods. <laughs> what, what, what's, that, what's that Cthulhu movie? Um, the mad Cthulhu movie where... Um, uh, there's a woman with tentacles, and um, they and, and her and this her this guy they end up swimming to this subterranean tent, subterranean Cthulhu realm. I and don't it's know. Underwater. Like it's underwater. I don't know. I was I thought you were going to say um, it's a oh, hammer. Kind of like it's got a very hammer horror vibe to it. No, I haven't seen that. I thought you were going to talk about the Kirsten Stewart um, film. I think it might just be called Underwater. Yeah, no, so there's there's lots of tales of like, you know, underwater Cthulhu dwellings, portals. Yeah. Well, I like this is what's all that. As well, it says it continues the sonorous wandering across an ecumenical. Wait, I have to start again. 
It says it continues, sonorous wandering across an ecumenical spheres that form up and embattle for the ever-raging war against poisonous and verminous trespassers of human origin. Doesn't make any sense, really. Pretty rad. I mean, I like. I, I, it made me laugh. Just the, the like heavy metal press releases never cease to be entertaining. Like even the opening line is like the Thule grimoires are the ruins of Beverass's sixth spawn in full length. <laughs> <laughs> they should. Um, I think metal English needs to be um a language in and of itself. It should be recognised as a language in and of itself. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. But, I, the, the, but there's also you can hear like elements as well in it of um. You know, not quite as as fraught, but of um, Shamash and of um, and Bear Moth, especially that song where he's songs where he's like he's like singing to a higher being, and you know, pledging fealty to a higher being. It's, it doesn't have that quite the sort of heaviness of it. It's much more that kind of its own slightly more leisurely pace than Bear Moth and um, uh, Shamash, but it's definitely got a bit of that vibe in it as well. Yeah, definitely. I was surprised at how goth it is as well. I didn't expect it to be like it has gothy bits in it. Like it has voices that sort of do some echoing chants, and it has like Anchorette in first has that woman doing a kind of gothy wail. Yeah, but but so much there's so much goth in the underground. Like it's been like that way for the last few years. Um, and I think it's because yeah, and I, I think it's because um, every every person you know such a vast portion of the pe people making this music that of that generation where they remember the eighties um goth era you know i was certainly around during that and um it certainly um affected a lot of my outlook and musical outlook and it's been very you know it's really super formative for me yeah it's a it's a really really great record and um you know it's uh, yeah. there's no reason to think this can be a very very big year for this band uh, yeah, the band they called root sorry it's just it's just it's just so ambitious as well yeah it really is there's so much going on and it's uh it's a fantastic record it is out today in fact it is friday so it is out today it is called the uh the thule grimoires but if you just look up the ruins of beverast that's b-e-v-e-r-a-s-t out on van records really great album uh also out this week i think we should give a quick shout out to the new corbaclani album it's called uh hilia i think that's how you pronounce it i'm so sorry for butchering all these pronunciations yes um, but yeah, uh, if you're into your uh, earnestly played Hey Diddly Folk Metal, you can't really go on with Corpacani. Quite an interesting record as well. There's a few kind of darker bits on there, a few slower bits, some interesting bits and bobs going on. Um, but uh, I can't say I'm a massive folk metal guy, but for what they do, they are clearly one of the very best at doing it. So shout out those lads. That's out today on Nuclear Blast. Uh, and also out today, a new EP from Colt of luna the raging river out on red creek um yeah i gave this album or uh, well, this ep a listen as well and i really liked it and to my shame i haven't really given cult of luna enough time over the years and this ep makes me think that i should have thoughts so? Well, Merlin, if that's what you think, you can go onto metalhammer.com where our writer matt mills has compiled a guide of where to start with cult of luna yeah seamless stop beginning um, and Continue. <laughs> start from the beginning and continue. Oh. <laughs> start yeah, from the beginning and go to the end. Yeah. Don't start in the middle. Yeah. I mean, the, all their songs are like journeys and travelogues. And, you know, they really set the whole tone 
for post metal. And I'm just gonna say, like, I know we call them post metal, and I really hate that we call them these bands post metal because bands like them, and bands like Amon Ra, and bands like Neurosis and Isis, all the bands that get called post metal, they're actually all from the hardcore scene. And so they technically they, they should be called post hardcore, but um, that got taken out by something else. But um, <laughs> yeah, none of these bands. But that's, none of these bands, which shall not even be named. Yeah. But um, if, if you want to if you want to understand these bands, you have to understand that they came from the hardcore scene, not the metal scene, and it's a very different set of um, impulses. But um, Jonathan, what should we listen to after we've read Matt's guide to Court of Luna? We've listened to Court of Luna. What should we go back and listen to to know what how that came about? What hardcore stuff should we listen to? Well, um, good. Well, obviously, um, refused stuff. You know, did a lot of. Um, did a lot of um you know they they, they were off in the hardcore scene but they they went and kind of did something kind of very different obviously isis is is the um is a classic example and you know they had that kind of watershed moment uh, no um pun intended with oceanic um but but you can kind of see um all these bands um kind of slowly developing but Again, it's like a lot of these bands, they suddenly like shifted from, they can see it slowly developing. And you hear it with, with um, Enslaved, with um, Issa album as well too, where something's developing and then suddenly there's this quantum leap. And like, you know, Neurosis had that with um, Souls at Zero, uh, when before they were kind of very much a hardcore punk band, if you listen to Pain of Mind, and you can hear all these sort of crust and hardcore punk influences of bands like Amoebix in there. Um, uh, but I think, Cult of Luna, when they started, their kind of path was kind of was already set, but musically. But I'm sure they've been doing things before Cult of Luna that were much more on a hardcore vein. Um, and the same with Amon Ra. Um, you listen, you, actually, if you listen to their um, uh, very early records, like, funny enough, called Mass One, <laughs> um, you can see it's much more hardcore. And it's those principles that they developed in the hardcore scene that led them to what they're doing now. And you know, it's much more kind of personal testimony rather than outlining some some vast um, occult vision, and and that's what kind of really draws you on. It's like it's like feel you've been constantly pulled into new realms of of something, you know, realms of expression or and you know all their like all of Cult of Lunar albums. They you know they've always felt like travelogues and journeys and journeys of discovery, and you're about to reach this kind of holy grail, but it's always just out of reach. Like it's very yeah, it's kind of very nocturnal voyage. Um, it's dark. Yeah, they've got Mark uh, Lanigan on the song. Yeah, so yeah, well, well, this EP is kind of a little bit different, um, and the same with um, their last album, uh, Dawn to Fear, which came out in 2019. And I mean, it, it, having just said what I just said, you know, a lot of their records are. Um, you know they're very conceptual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, but you know, but they, a lot of the records are conceptual. But they use that as a means to explore personal things. So obviously, vertical with a K was kind of loosely based on Metropolis, the same as um, the same thing that the same film that's influenced uh, Imperial Trump triumphant. Um, and so with a dawn to fear, there wasn't. It was just more personal. So. It didn't have the grandeur, maybe like some of the grandeur of other albums, but it had songs in it that had a really uh, emotional 
support of them. And I get, I really get that on the opening track, Three Bridges, on on the new EP. It's just so beautiful. And then yeah, Mark Lanigan on, is it Inside a Dream? It's it it it, it gives a really um, inside of a dream. Inside of a dream, yeah, it gives another you know wonderful where wonderful layer of warmth and earthiness um, to it. Um, so, you know, there's there's no tracks on it that I feel are as, um, as sonically um, ambitious as some of some of the some of the other stuff they've done, like Light Chaser, which was on um, the Vertical Two EP, which is like the coded to that, which is one of my favourite songs they've ever done, and it's it's doing something really really different. Uh, but it's still, but if you just want like an emotional experience, this really has it. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool little release. Um, uh, loads of stuff to get stuck into. So it's Cult of Luna, The Raging River is the name of the EP out right now, along with that excellent Ruins of Beverast album. Uh, and I guess I guess if you just want the ultimate palette cleanser, there's a uh, there's a new Copacani album out as well. They've got a fine write up. Which strangely starts off with a riff to 20th Century Boy by um, yeah. T-Rex. Yeah, but we were trying to work that out, weren't we? That first song on that Corbulacani record, that's what I was talking about. Like, it's a bit different. It's a bit kind of slower and groovier. And um, and there's, yeah, there's that riff on it. We were trying to work out what it was. And we think it is actually T-Rex, which is, you know. Yeah, 20th Century Boy, yeah. A good band. Uh, so, yeah, loads of great stuff out this week. Go check that out. Um Let's do some questions from readers. Elle, why don't you take this first one? Why not? Let me just get the questions in front of me. Here I am. Smooth, doing <laughs> smooth as smooth peanut butter. Joe Heaton asks, have you ever been excited at the news of a band reuniting, only to then be disappointed by their subsequent gigs or new music? And vice versa, have you ever been cynical towards a reunion, but ended up loving having the band back? I think uh, I can hear Stephen Hill screaming somewhere yeah. um, at the drive-in at me. <laughs> uh, I feel like you can't really mention their reunion without, uh, uh, well, this kind of thing without that reunion because it did not go down well. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, I can't remember that many times where I've seen a band that's reunited and I've been guided about it. I mean, the most excited I've been was probably when Sabbath came back in 2011 saw them at the Birmingham Academy on that run and it was fucking great. Um, Guns N' Roses was like, I guess I was nervous about that one. So maybe that counts. A bit nervous about how it would all come together, especially with the Axel factor um, and that stadium show they did uh, when they first got back together was just absolutely phenomenal. Maybe the best stadium show I've ever been to. Um, uh, so yeah, I've kind of, I've had an all right time with it with bands reuniting, I think. I'm sure Steve will also go on about how much he hated the refused reunion as well. Um, I think Steve liked the refused reunion, you know. Did he? I thought we, I remember it was the second album that came out he was really disappointed with because obviously The Shape of Punk to Come is one of the greatest and most unusual meta hardcore records ever made. Um, mm. And that's a really, you know, that's such a landmark album that's really hard to follow up. Although I, I, I saw them at, at um, download on the second stage and they were absolutely amazing and there was hardly any you know the, the field was half full and then it all filled up again for i think it's flogging molly or one of those kind of bands just like oh for god's sake 
so, <laughs> disappointed with um the kids today <laughs> that that refuse gig was just all the firecracker energy you want from refuse from refused so on that level that on a live level that reunion was great fair dues any any to add here about i mean yeah i've had I've, I've kind of more on the industrial side uh you know that kind of link into the metal because you know late 80s i was massively into industrial and what was then called ebm so obviously ministry uh skinny puppy uh front 242 that was my thing especially like late night late 80s and that was why i was really pleased to write the piece about minis about ministry back then uh but my favorite band one of my favorite bands of the whole era was a band called skinny puppy and if you listen to stuff they did in the 80s now like 86 87 like either um transport and manipulate or river sex six and you know how easily industrial music can date this so futurist so un, so of its own that it feels like it could be if it made if, if you just if it was made yesterday you it would be just every bit as mind-blowing um as it is as it was back then it's just it's never lost its um kind of thrill and and then they disappeared and they came back uh uh with an album called the greater wrong of the right unfortunately one of the main songwriters Dwayne Gotthold died and I was so obsessed with this band and when that came out that record was so bad I was literally almost on the verge of tears on how bad it was mm. uh just just had lost all the intensity like the, they used to um sing you know look the themes were about they were heavily anti-vivisection hence that album vivisex six and these a lot kind of cut up technique um that it just they just they just lost all the and it was so innovative and they just lost all of that and so that was really sad um even though the live gigs were great when they played the old stuff and technically ministry sort of uh disappeared uh, you know, he said they were. He said they were going to not record any albums back in, in a, you know, a few years back. And when they came back uh, with Americunt, the album wasn't great. I don't know how you call it, but um, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, but the live shows was absolutely amazing, and I'd lost kind of faith with Ministry. Um, it was just kind of like fiddling while Rome burns. But that gig, uh, the last gig they played, in, was just one of the one of my favorite gigs the entire year so that was actually a really good comeback fair dude yeah i remember you talking about that um what about you Al? well yeah i was obsessed with vex red the band from the early 2000s the new metal band that i think were produced by ross robinson and there was a big push on them in like the metal press or the rock press and then i went to see them when they reunited at islington academy a couple of years ago and just was a real letdown for me they did kind of newer songs and not all of the hits. It didn't feel like there was any chemistry there. I just felt like really let down by it. And I think since then they actually have played some gigs where they played the record in full and maybe they were better gigs to go to. Um, but yeah, I was just a little bit sad about that because it was a little bit of my childhood. Um, and yeah, Guns N' Roses, same as you, I was like a little bit like, hmm, what's it going to be like? And then it was amazing. Um, Such a good gig. Soundgarden coming back was good too with King Animal. That was a nice reunion. Yeah, that's a good point. That was a really good reunion, actually. I'm just that saying nice reunions now. Well, <laughs> good. Sometimes in this world we need niceness. Um, oh, I love this next question because I was hoping for an excuse to wang on about these. 
Uh, Kimberly Burrows says, which is your favorite of the Batman death metal covers? So this is uh, a bit of me. Um, this is a run of uh, DC Comics uh, death metal series. Um, they've had like a Dark Knight's metal series, and this is kind of like an even more extreme version of that. And DC Comics have basically teamed up with a ton of metal bands for a series of really cool limited edition covers. Uh, Megadeth, Lacuna Coil, Sepatura. Have you seen the Opeth one? The Opeth yeah. one's amazing. I'm not yeah. a massive Opeth guy, but it's so good. Um, but for me, the best one by a mile is Ghost. And I don't know how I need to get a hold of this thing. I don't know where it's going to be on sale, but I need it framed on my wall because it is just so good. It's Papa 4 with um, the Batman who laughs. And it's just like, uh, it's epic. Epic. I love it. I love it. I love it. I don't know if you guys have seen these things. but Yeah. Um, I like, I really like the, like, compositionally even though it's a band i like the least my favorite one is um uh is um dream theater because it just looks so gothic and this kind of like this looks like it's coming out of this necropolis um and the band look a lot meaner than they actually are i really like the, i really love the, my, my, i really love the ghost one because it's kind of got a little bit of the ec comics feel to it like the old horror comics um from the sort of 60s 50s and 60s um and it reminds me of um a few and that really jagged style really reminds me of a few artists that i used to comic artists i used to love um back in the 90s as well too so it's got um it's got it's got kind of a retro feel to it without being looking like it's deliberately trying to be a retro feel yeah so, i think it, i think it's uh that's exactly it it's definitely got that kind of vibe which kind of sums up ghost yeah really. and um yeah it's weird it's like the the death metal batman he just looks like um judge death yeah the batman who laughs he's uh yeah. he's an alter universe obviously in comic numerous comic worlds there's many different parallel universes and he's like a parallel version of uh bruce wayne and he's one of the cooler more recent um Batman villains to have been introduced. He's fucking awesome. But yes, he does basically look like Judge Death. You're right. <laughs> I never thought yeah. of that. He also looks like um in in the last Lord of the Rings movie when they turn up at the um The Mouth of Sauron. Yeah. Yeah, that guy. I just thought that guy looked absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, that's only in the extended edition, I think, isn't edition, it? Yeah, no. I, I I once watched it on um on Netflix or whatever service it was on. Not Look, waiting for him to turn up and then I realized that it wasn't extended edition so that was like basically three hours that i wasted waiting i for thought this. you were, i thought you were about to tell us that you once watched it on acid and it was going to be amazing <laughs> uh i might try no no <laughs> do not approve of watching I'm not, I'm not go there don't approve watching any three-hour middle earth film on acid or anything else um right let's do another question do you want to read the next one, you which ones i like then fine well, you seem to just go quiet, Al, so I thought maybe you weren't bothered, to be honest. I like the ghost one as well, so there. Great. <laughs> Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. There were these artists that I used to really like called Munoz and Sampeo, and they used to do these comics based in um, New York, even though they'd never been there. And so it was this weird sort of like proto-Sin City co comic. And... Um, and the yeah, the ghost one really reminds me of that style of artwork. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, there's a guy, there's a guy called J.M. Dematius, who's a famous. He used to do a lot of like DC comic stuff, and he started he he started copying that style as well too. 
So it's just a style I've seen in a lot of comics back in back in the day. I'm going to have to opt out the next question because I haven't thought of an answer. I'm sorry. All right, I'll ask. <laughs> fine. Go on. <laughs> uh, this is from Christopher Fletcher, and he asks, "What is your favorite album by a band that isn't typically considered one of the big hitters?" Torture by Cannibal Corpse is one of his favorites, um, for example. So, what are ours? A fine question. Um, so I had a few that came to mind. Uh, Dance of Death by Maiden was one that came to mind quite quickly. I feel like in the, um, I think everyone knows that Brave New World is a classic and uh, the Book of Souls has obviously got rave reviews and um, so did Final Frontier. Uh, there's a lot of love out there for a matter of life and death as well. I feel like for a lot of people, that's the kind of the uh, vintage choice for, um, for Modern Maiden. But uh, I think Dance of Death gets overlooked because the artwork's so horrible, and so it kind of goes down as like a, a misstep for Maiden. But I think it's a fucking great album, and there's so many songs on there that I would love to see them resurrect, not least of all Passiondale, which is the greatest Maiden song of the 21st century. I think it's, it's not my favourite record. It's just one of those, no. you've said this before, but it's one of those ones that kind of sounds like a musical. Yeah, I know. I do know what you mean. I mean, there's literally some bits in it that are like da 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 da, diddly diddly, twiddly diddly. But yeah. um, I love it. Um, but I appreciate it's not one of the big hitters. Uh, obviously, Load and Reload by Metallica. Probably Reload more. I think a lot of people give love to Load now, but I think Reload has got some fantastic material on it. Um, Bloodstone and Diamonds by Machine Head. Uh, we've said this on the podcast before, but I think it's probably safe to say that if they'd released Bloodstone and Diamonds straight after the Blackening, I think they're situation and trajectory would have gone a little bit differently because it is a fantastic album and it just seems to have almost been forgotten about now i don't know why it's not celebrated more um and then i was thinking of in flames and i love uh the sounds of a playground fading album not really considered part of their classic run but there's loads of great stuff on that record and it was just probably the last point where i liked what in flames were doing um so there didn't I think of anything in that little space though i have thought of some uh, Fear Factory, uh, I love Digimortal, but most people would choose Demanufacture. Uh, I like Digimortal. I like Digimortal. Yeah, if, it's like, if it's like, what's your favourite album by a band that isn't considered one of their big hitters, that's my favourite. Um, Ramstein, obviously I've talked about this at length. My favourite one is the self-titled one that came out, but a lot of people would say Mutter. We've had that conversation before, Merlin. Yeah, you're wrong. Um, I was... <laughs> I would say, uh, yeah, I mean, none of those albums I just mentioned are literally my favourites by those bands, but they are my favourites. That was why it was well, so no. think of an answer. What's your favourite album by a band that isn't considered one of them? I have one really outlier opinion, and it's not my favourite, because obviously Autism of Madness is one of the greatest metal records of all time, but um, I am one of the two people on the planet who likes Illid Divinum Insanus. Um, I think we talked about this quite recently. 36 37 percent on metal archives um you know it's, it's the one they went really industrial but um i think me and dom i think are the only two people dom lawson are the only two people on the planet who really like that record because it just I has we... all the morbid angel wrongness um and it's a lot more strident than um heretic which was a very insular sounding album the one that preceded that um i do have one favorite album from non-metal Side that is actually my favorite album of that of that artist uh that is not one of the big hits which is david bowie and young americans mm. like, i am very rare in that that being my favorite bowie record and i love bowie 
Interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's there's quite a few. Uh, yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I read the question is if you took a band's non-big hitter albums, which is your favourite out of them? <laughs> That's I read it in a different way, which is why I was racking my brains until blood poured out of my eyes. Uh, language is fun. Young America is one of the great Sunday records. It's just great playing on Sunday. I love I love fucked up soul records. Uh, yeah, fuck it, why not? Um, right, Saskia Kenyon Evans says I'm looking at Trivium's latest tour with Fit for an Autopsy and a few others. Uh, I think those two others are uh, Heaven Shall Burn and Tesseract, I believe. Yeah, uh, and two things I'm two things that that uh, Saskia is wondering. With the gig being in November, do you think it's still likely to be cancelled? Um, and I think we were a bit unsure about this because Saskia says it's also near enough £70 for a ticket before booking fees. At a, um, Although it's four bands, but she still feels that that's closer to an arena price than an academy-sized venue. So she's saying these are nearly £70 a ticket, but Elle looked into this and it didn't. I didn't, didn't think that was the case. Yeah, I went on the live nation website and clicked through and for o2 academy brixton it's 37 pounds 25 plus 275 for an e-ticket so you're looking at 40 quid not 70 quid so maybe she was looking at resale sites or a pair of tickets or something like that i also checked out glasgow and it was similar yeah that's an interesting one so not quite sure what the data is there um i mean yeah 70 pounds would certainly be a lot for a gig like that obviously um I feel like I'd empty my bank account to go to a gig at the moment, but I appreciate it. it's not uh, as simple as that, is it? Um, I mean, being in November, nobody knows. Nobody knows. We don't, I think anyone that says they have serious intel on this is probably really kind of far along that side of the music industry or is just bullshitting because um, it's impossible to know exactly what's going to happen. I mean, like personally, as I said at the top of the show, I am feeling optimistic. Um, I know that we're seeing festivals getting pushed back and more tours getting rescheduled, but we're seeing a quite phenomenal amount of people getting vaccinated now. And if that number continues, I don't see why come November time, we couldn't have a, a, a fairly solid level of normality across a lot of industries again. So my fingers are very firmly crossed for that gig and Trivium would be a band I would love to see again um, when this is all over. They are so great live so many great anthems and that would be such a great gig to go ahead so hopefully that'll be the case you know else to add i think damnation which normally takes place around the 5th of november or that period they've postponed it to april i think next year or, or somewhere around that time but i guess that's different for festivals because you've got to consider that a lot you've got to hope that a lot more people are going to come into a gig so um i think it might be a different calculus for festivals than it is for um even, even even a gig by a band such as Trivium. Yeah. You, you, need, you know, you need two, two and a half, three thousand people to turn up. At least, yeah, definitely. All right. Well, look, that's it for this week's show. Let's wrap it up there, lads. Um, I know that uh, it's been, like we said, it's been a heavy week. There's a lot of unpleasant reading out there. So please look after yourselves. And uh, as I mentioned, we'll have plenty more to say on this Marilyn Manon situation. There's just quite a lot to kind of get through and unravel with it all because it's such a huge... Uh, a huge story and there's so many different facets to it so keep an eye on the metal hammer website for more on that and uh, i'm sure we'll have more to say about it on the podcast again very soon but in the meantime look after yourselves be safe be kind to each other and uh, we will see you next week take care everybody goodbye goodbye Bye.